Welcome to Paint Radio with your hosts, Emily Howard and Andrew Dwyer. Yeah, Paint Radio, the APC podcast. I'm Andrew. Emily is here. We're talking about everybody's favorite topic, and that's hiring. But I think the angle that we're attacking it from today is pretty dang intelligent, because that's what we do. We broadcast intelligence to the nether regions of the world here at Paint Radio. We're talking about how to create sort of a, a foundation for hiring so that you're it's always there. You can tap it when you need it, but you've created a nice foundation that's going to uh, set up the framework and other analogous structural terms that I escape me at the moment that you can add on to when you need it, when you need new people. And who better to talk about that with? He's not a new person. He's been here before. He's Danny Kerr, the Director of Assessment at BTA, otherwise known as Breakthrough Academy, where they tame the chaos. I love that phrase. That's one of BTA's favorite phrases. Danny, thanks for coming on board and helping us tame the chaos of hiring. Thanks for having me, Andrew. Yeah, that's good. That's what, that's what I do every day. <laughs> you tame the chaos <laughs> every day. Yeah, I love just it. No sword, no shield, but you know what? I got a computer and I have a voice. It seems to work. <laughs> I love the title Director of Assessment, which I hope, by the way, is still an accurate title, is it? Uh, yeah, <laughs> we have an assessment team that I oversee and then, yeah, it is evolving in the last couple of years. We've definitely been, I've been stepping more and more into like my kind of director of the company role with James and Igor, who are my two partners, but half of my life is spent making sure that the people that come into our program are the right people and that we've got the right process to, you know, we're going to talk hiring funnels. It's actually not too dissimilar to how we bring in members to BTA and that we yeah. do it the right way and expectations are set well and the right, you know, human beings are in the right seats and yeah, we're able to run a program. You know, words come and go. It's a living language. That's what we all love about it. But we hear, I think, more and more these days, the term through line, which I love because it connects so many of the different things we do. And that's what you're just talking about, that assessment is a through line that is involved in a ton of what you're doing. And certainly the the mindset that is needed to take a fresh and effective and strategic approach to hiring is the same strategic mindset that you need for operations and and all that type of stuff. So we're going to be talking about the through lines of operating a business. So what are you hearing these days? How would you describe the current status of hiring in the, in the painting industry? Is it getting better? Or is it getting worse? I would just say there is very much a TBD labeled <laughs> on the market right now in many aspects. And I'm sure most people listening can agree with that. There's a hesitancy based on all the interest rate increases from people. There's also a need and demand for housing. The market is in very much like a TBD state from what I've noticed. So I think it's hard to call and say this is exactly what's happening because everything's up in the air. And I've heard different areas like British Columbia versus Colorado versus Toronto. I've heard from different like industries. So builders and renovators versus painters and landscapers. And there's a myriad of different things going on, right? So some of the guys in British Columbia, like they are telling me like I, I'm having more applicants come into job ads than I've ever had ever in the history of me running this company. Other people are still same old, like can't find good people, know how to try in different parts of the United States. Builders, people who are doing more um, new builds and custom homes and things like that. They're starting to say, hey, we have we have gaps in our schedules, you know, things that we didn't have to deal with in the past. Some of the subcontractors are like we're busier than we've ever been. 
people doing renovations are a little bit busier than they've ever been. So the, the market is in flux, I would say right now. And I don't have a strong opinion as to the future. What I do know is that things are yet to be determined. And we're all kind of waiting to hear the answer from someone smarter than me, probably. I think, yeah, life. Life is going to give us the answer. <laughs> I think that's a good way of putting it. I think Andrew and I have been talking about how the, the painting industry really these past six to eight months too have been, has been in flux. Just like you said, there's a lot of people sitting on the sidelines. There's a lot of people wondering what's going to happen next. First of all, hiring has always been an issue in the painting industry. When we go back to our issues from 1924, the first thing they're talking about is how difficult it is to hire. Um, yeah. So it's always a problem. I do think obviously COVID you know, a massive influx in work, it seems like the last couple of years, and it does seem like things are taming a bit on that end of things, but it has been an exacerbated situation, I feel like. And I'm curious, as you know, as as we all have to meet greater and greater challenges, there are better and better solutions and people come up with better ideas. Have you guys seen any of your clients that have really kind of stepped up to the plate and found some creative ways to help with the hiring gap? Um, creative might not be the best word for it, but what I see working is is stuff that we'll probably talk about today, which is stuff that is just good old fashioned creating the right funnel, which we could talk about the components of that very much having active strategies to reach out to people versus waiting for things to come in. And then the final thing is just, yeah, getting very clear when people are coming in, what your culture, what your values, what the process will look like once they come in to retain people long-term. It's, I'd love to give, you know, new fancy tech ideas. And from what I'm seeing work, it's just good old-fashioned recruiting, which we'll talk about today. It's trying not to make it too fancy and complicated because then it often doesn't even get done. Just stick to the basics. It's interesting. If we were having this podcast three years ago, we were only talking about culture a teeny tiny bit. But I'm actually hearing that discussion a lot more. We're seeing a lot more contractors take a look at what their culture is and that it's a a positive culture for the people who work there, which is a little bit of a deviation from a a lot of people's past. Are you guys seeing the same thing? Are you seeing people focus on their culture and not only what their culture is, but how they communicate it? Yeah, like if you if you end up doing Breakthrough Academy, like our the whole beating drum on the back end is like how do you recruit, train, and operate people with one Andrew said like through line through all of it, right? What is the employee journey that is consistent throughout? And I think that having goals, having accountability to those goals, having a clear five year BHAG, big very audacious goal that the whole company's trying to strive towards hitting and feeling like it's they're a part of that and being able to contribute to that is a massive part of the culture anyways that we drive. And I think you know, there's the ideas of let's do staff barbecues and all those things. Those are a nice like events, but the culture we're always trying to impose on people is how do we build performance culture within your organization? And I think it retains the right types of people. It actually deflects the wrong type in a pretty you know dramatic way. And it allows everybody in the organization to feel like they have a common purpose and feel aligned with the people they work with every day, which is huge. I kind of ran roughshod over your introduction because I assume everybody knows and is familiar with Breakthrough Academy, but why make an ass out of you and me, Danny, as the old saying goes? (laughs) I would take an attempt and a stab at explaining what you do, but then you would simply have to correct it. So let's just start with you explaining what Breakthrough Academy does with contractors, especially painting contractors. We're very focused on the systems and structure, so like the operational side of the business and looking at how to structure things for either growth or better efficiency. 
And in a lot of ways, we act and operate as if we're kind of a franchisor with a big franchise system to give to the market, but we never sell a franchise. So we'll walk people through everything from how they, you know, do their financials to building their sales and production metrics to building their org structures and their job descriptions and how to build a recruiting funnel based on the org structure and what it tells us, how to build an interview process and how to build, you know, employment agreements and standard operating procedures and how to hold staff accountable to those procedures long term and how to drive everyone towards a common goal year end or five years into a business where it was decided on five years ago that we're going to hit this and everybody is beating that drum to get to that goal long term. So it's it's management process for contractors is maybe a good way to put it. So give us a little bit of an idea of what you're coaching people to do in the hiring. You've talked a lot about, you've talked about funnels and talking about not making it too confusing or too complicated. What are you all coaching? So the foundations of everything, and I've, I've probably spoken this in the past on your podcast, I'm not sure, but um, the foundations of all of this is, is this thing we call an ideal candidate profile, right? So if you think about a customer, most, some companies have an ideal customer profile. Who is our customer? What do they love? What do they hate? Where do they hang out? Where do they spend their money? All that kind of stuff. So very much so the, the foundations of anything is who's the ideal candidate for this role? What do they love? What do they hate? What are their strengths? What are their weaknesses? What kind of attributes do they have? What kind of background do they have? What are their core values? All that type of stuff. So if we're starting anything recruiting wise with a member, it's who's the right fit and who's the right fit is that candidate profile is kind of like the North star of everything we build from there. Talk to us about how do you use that information, like to market, to interview, where does yes. the funnel go for, I would assume, yeah, right? that's yeah, totally. the top of the yeah, funnel. I'll, I'll walk you through it. So let's use fishing terms. We're deciding what kind of fish we want to catch first, right? So we've decided the traits of the fish. We understand what, you know, what the fish likes to eat, all the different things. Now we have to go and say, okay, well, what type of lure are we going to use, right? So the lure would be your job ad. So the job ad gets written and all the verbiage and terminology, the heading, headline, the description of duties, all that stuff gets written in context to what that ideal candidate profile says. So if that ideal candidate profile says that this person loves culture, they love goals, they want to you know, grow in their career, their, all this stuff, we're going to be putting that verbiage in the ad, if that kind of makes sense. So if you say to somebody, you know, like I, I, if I've got an ideal candidate profile, that's like, you know, I, I want to work for a company that's organized. I'd love to have somewhere that I could long-term be able to grow in my career and become management one day. And I want to be able to go from being a painter to being a leader of crews and be able to make enough money to support my family. And if that's like the story from the profile we generate, the ad itself will speak towards the opportunities in that light. And I find the opposite is true for a lot of owners that don't build those profiles ahead of time. They write all about the things they think someone would like but haven't really confirmed in any kind of justifiable way. So they just write about features and benefits of the company. It's very similar if you think about this from a sales perspective, a salesperson that goes in and talks to a customer and finds out all their needs and then shows them the parts of the company that relate to those needs versus a salesperson that doesn't ask those questions and just talks, you know, shotgun on all the different features and benefits of, you know, going with them without any understanding what that customer is actually looking for. Is it incredibly important to say, the ideal candidate must. Yeah, yeah. And and that dictates the ad sets. That then dictates, once we get the ads out, where those ads go. Like, where does this person look? Where do they hang out? What kind of people do they know? Where do their eyeballs and ears go? So that we can make sure that ad gets their attention. That then dictates once, you know, we're starting to attract some applicants, that dictates the questions we ask in our pre-screening interview. So the one we do over the phone prior to doing an actual interview. 
That also then dictates the actual interview questions themselves. So what preferences and abilities and strengths and weaknesses are we actually looking for to clarify that this person is like the, the profile that we built? And then that also dictates what the job description is because we need to put someone that fits that profile into a certain role where they can do what they do best and not do things they suck at, right? We don't want to build a job description that has a lot of administrative duties and a lot of field duties and a lot of sales duties all rolled into one. It's like, we've got to pick what the role is going to be based on the profile that we're actually building. Do you have a strategy or guidance? Cause you know, we all have heard stories about where'd you find your VP of operations? Well, you know, she was managing the healthcare facility or the doctor's office or the dentist's office or the auto repair parts place. Is that just an anomaly do those just make good stories or should you actually build that sort of awareness of people and skill sets into your everyday mindset so that you recognize it when you're at Napa Auto Parts buying those dice that Emily hanged from the rearview mirror? And or is that just a? <laughs> yeah, it's a good point. So like when you're building a profile, you're not saying they have to have had this job with this type of experience. Although you might say that a little bit, that might only be 10% of what's important, right? So I might say to someone, I need somebody who has high attainment, the preference to set head goals. They have good tenacity. They have the ability to work extremely hard and, and, you know, like hard work. They take a lot of pride in that. They've got values that are similar to our company values. And you know what? We probably need them with about a year and a half of painting experience just because we're not going to go with fresh green painters given the type of projects we have or, or something along those lines. But the top three were all personality driven that you could have experience from a myriad of different things, whether it be job related, sometimes even just like extracurricular, like sports and school and other things like that. You can find those traits in people regardless of their experience. And if you do have an experiential based need, that's fine. You can document that. But that is kind of like one of four things overall. How are employers, so, you know, you're talking about job descriptions and what you're looking for. Um, and you said that one of the big mistakes is, is that they're just doing kind of feature advantage benefit. We mm. offer this, we do that. Are you finding interesting ways that employers are finding to communicate the culture and what sure. they offer to this individual as well? Landing page with a video. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. What's in the video? Uh, so we have one actually on our website and I find some of our members are starting to emulate what that video is, but it's essentially, it's kind of like, it's an ad and it's having our staff actually speak to it. So we're narrating it a little bit, but it's mostly our team talking about why they're here, what they enjoy about it, what they were looking for and what they find here, what keeps them around, you know, what they love about their job, what, what are some realities of working here, both good and bad. And it just shows the culture. So it shows us going on some of our out trips, shows them working in the office, shows them talking, you know, talking and working with some of our members. And it just emulates the experience, but in light of what matters to our ideal candidate. And um, it's not coming from our, our mouth. It's coming from the mouth of our staff. I find that that video really gets people excited. It engages them and it helps them really see like more than just text ever could. I so if you're... That. If the funnel includes pre-qualification questions that you ask on the phone and then you bring them in face-to-face -face interview and you've got those questions, does it, does it continue to go into such depth that it includes you know, like a one-week test run or a, you know, a one-month probationary period? Do you sort of leave that up to your clients or do you, do you have opinions on that type of structure? It's a good question. I probably don't have the best answer for it, but from what I understand, like internally at our, in our organization, I mean, everybody in, that's hired has three months before they're getting their benefits or anything solidified hundred percent. 
but we do really push for having a good sound decision made prior to the hire being made. Right. So it's like, okay, if you could sit down with somebody for 30 minutes and say, you're going to make a call for how that person's going to spend the next three to five years of their life, 40 hours a week, every week, you're probably kidding yourself. Right. So we put a lot of weight on the front end of the process to say, Hey, we need a really good, like, you know, thing to attract resumes then we need a very clear eye on how to discern what resumes are worth it and which ones aren't. So we have a whole scoring system that we teach our members. Then from there, we need a very good setup call that's about half an hour long, actually, just the call itself that helps make sure we're setting up people that A, are the right fit, but B, that if they are the right fit, that they're engaged enough to want to show up for the interview. So like excited to show up. We usually give them some homework and things to do in between and kind of silently sell to them, get them excited to be there. And then during the interview, they can be an hour to even two hours long. And that interview, you're going through these preferences and abilities in extreme detail. Like if I'm looking for four different things in somebody, I might spend a half an hour on one of those things. If I'm looking for attainment, the preference to set and hit goals, I might go through three or even four areas of their life where they've had some semblance of attainment. It could be how they got grades in school, maybe a job experience they've had, maybe buying their first home or saving money. And I'm going to look at those three different scenarios and I'm going to know, you know, who was involved, how long it happened, what basically what was their goal in the beginning? What, how did it result? What were the steps they took to get there and get such high detail on it? I'm going from like a stick person who says yes to me to a HD picture of that, that person and the background surroundings of everything that was going on around them. And when I can say in attainment, I've got two to three examples that tell me how you react to things. I can see patterns. And in those patterns, I can start to predict future behavior in people based on their past performance. And it's that level of like discernment and detail on the front end of, you know, the interview and recruiting process that saves you a lot of like, well, let's just throw them in the field and see how they do. And I get that people do that. And I get why people do that because they're busy. It's hard to make a good call on people. A lot of people often say to me, well, people just lied to me in the interview anyways. What's the point of trying? But I think with a little bit of training and a little bit of tools and a little bit of intentionality on knowing what you're looking for, you can weed out a lot of people. I mean, I look at BTA with 42 staff now, 43 staff, we lose maybe one person every two years on our team. Wow. That's great. And when you look at it, like what's the bigger workload? Constantly rehiring people or spending, I'd say maybe three to four times amount of, a much amount of time on the recruiting process so that when you do get someone good, you're not going back to the drawing board every six to 12 months. Yeah, retention is huge and it's extremely challenging and it's been even more challenging, I feel like, the last couple of years. So, man, a lot of the stuff that you're talking about is pretty advanced. You know, being able to predict future behaviors based on Mm. scenarios that they give you in an interview is something that takes a little bit of time to probably like, right? It takes a little bit of time to tune tune yourself into, okay, these patterns are probably patterns that I do want to see. These are patterns that I don't. I love because it is, you you can kind of test all of those things mm-hmm. and approach the situation with curiosity instead of like stress and angst and that kind of thing. How long, like what are some things that people can do to start to kind of build their abilities to yeah. read what previous stories tell about the future. Yeah, such a good point. So yeah, the, the journey of doing recruiting is very similar to the, the journey of actually learning how to do sales. And so the, the skill development never does end. But what I will say is if you don't have a standard to hold yourself against, you can't learn much because everything feels like a one-off custom circumstance where you're just trying to read somebody based on your intuition. 
And I still think intuition is like 50% of the equation. I think no matter what, your intuition is, is half of what you should be paying attention to. But if you could say, okay, I'm going to learn interviewing for the next two years to get good enough to be able to make good judgment calls and reduce the amount of delinquents we have from the people we hire. That's a good journey to go on, but you can't start it until you say, I will standardize the way we interview. I will say that these three traits are the things mm-hmm. we look for in a painter. These five traits are the things that we look for in a project manager. These four traits, totally different traits are ones that we look for in an administrative person. These, you know, whatever, and the list goes on. And once you define those, you can certainly tweak them a little bit, but now you can say, okay, this painter needed attainment, the ability to tenacity, the ability to work hard and our core values. And after a year of working with them, I can see where I went wrong in the interview and the new people I'm hiring. I'm going to ask slightly different questions of because I learned a little bit from doing it once and I can do it again. But if you're always changing the questions you're asking and you're always changing what you think you're looking for in somebody, you have no standard to benchmark against. So let's pretend that someone, anyone listening to this podcast is, you know, they don't have hiring funnel, you know, they need somebody, they write the ad, they are starting to think about their culture. They're, they're writing about features and benefits of the company. They raise their pay rates, but they're not quite as advanced as what you're talking about. They're, they're at the very beginning stages. Mm-hmm. It sounds like the first thing is to sit down and determine what the qualities, right? Not skills, but qualities are in yeah. each individual job that you need to fill. And then where do they go from there? What's next? Once you've defined those things, we've talked a little bit about the profile, writing up the ad. I think it's just uh, what I have and what we actually give all of our members. See if we can give this to you guys too, to give them as a download. But like we have like literally question blocks. So if you're going to say, I'm looking for attainment, there's about six questions that you would ask somebody and get used to asking those questions and get used to the responses that come out of them and start to know how to dig deeper. Like the next big step is we call it peeling back the onion asking more open-ended questions in that one category to get more and more detail and getting used to that. Because if you say to somebody, are you a hard worker? Because you're looking for t- you know tenacity. They'll be like, yeah, yeah, I'm a hard worker. And you could just go check, like, great, perfect. <laughs> right? Or you could say, okay, what's your hardest work experience? How long did that last? What was the hardest part about it? What was your hardest day? What happened next? How were you feeling during that time? What did you learn from that experience? How did it result? And you can see that line of questioning is taking me deeper down the rabbit hole into understanding mm-hmm. the story of that person in that, in that one time. And I think that a good best practice to say, Hey, I want to improve on my ability to interview is say, am I asking close-ended questions where they're just saying yes or no to me? Or am I asking open-ended questions where they're giving me more detail? And in that, am I finding out the story? What's the story? Yeah. That's interesting. Those are good. I think those are great examples. How long, if you're at the beginning of this stage, like I said, I mean, how long would you say it takes to become a pretty good interviewer and to, and to build out your funnel so that it becomes this kind of more reliable piece of your business? Everyone's different. I'd say two to three years of like getting used to it, to get it dialed in to the point where it feels like a system that you can rely on. You've got some repeatable data and some repeatable, you know, results of types of people coming in that you've kind of figured it out. I think the first year is very much like kind of a trial and error year where you're just trying something new. You're putting, you're asking questions, you're seeing what comes out of it. The second year, you're, I, I find a lot of our members that are doing this are re- refining that system. And like they, they've got now some like a year of data under them where like that guy didn't work out. This person did. 
okay, I can see now, like they keep their interview notes and can reflect on them when they let someone go and be like, right, I was totally wrong when I scored you that. <laughs> so that second year is a good year of reflection. And then the third year is one of just kind of like little tweaks. Let's make sure that I've built this in a way that's repeatable, that's documented, that all the random Excel sheets or word files that I used for interviewing, it's all compiled into one thing now. And it's, you know, the team could use it and not just me. Danny, people love to make fun of questions like, if you were a type of tree, what type of tree would you be? Or <laughs> tell me, tell me all the things you could do with this paperclip or stuff like that. And people, and man, I'd love to say they're all boomers who hate it, but I don't think that's accurate. People hate those kind of kooky, non-obvious questions. Right. Of course, my understanding, which we all know, I have famously limited understanding, but my understanding <laughs> That, that it's just like a completely wide open question and let's see what happens. Are they creative? Are they thoughtful? Are they fun? Or are they like, no, I don't like this. I need to be hemmed in and uh, I don't operate well without borders. So what is your opinion of questions like that? I don't use them very often. Maybe it's just my style. I'm a bit more direct. I think if you do use them, you very much need to know what you're looking for. If you're just asking them because somebody else told you to ask them, it's probably a bad place to start. But if you're like, no, like I want, I'll, I'll give an example of one that I do ask. Actually, I, I say to somebody, what's something that you're extremely proud of? And I want to know and understand, you know, what the thing is, but to be honest, I don't really care what it is. I want to know how much passion they put behind it. Right. So if I'm talking to somebody, it might be a painter for me and I'm talking to them about their Lego collection and they're just going into how many pieces they've got and how many years they put into it and how much time they put into each project and how they put it online with like their own website and they go to these conventions. And that's cool to hear. Like this person probably has pride in what they do, but I don't care that they love Lego. They could be yeah. telling me about their, you know, World of Warcraft account for all I care. But if I want to see how much passion do you have behind that thing? And that tells me a lot. And so that's maybe as like abstract as I get in some of my mm. questioning. A lot of it is pretty straightforward, but if anything, it's getting the specific detail of what exactly happened in those circumstances. Because when you get into these abstract questions, people can say whatever they want and it can sound great, but it's not about what you think you would do or what you care about hypothetically. It's like, what have you done? Where has that been proven? And what was the story behind that? I love it. Excellent. Good answer, Danny. <laughs> he is Danny Kerr with BTA Breakthrough Academy. You can check them out at btacademy.com. Danny, where, when somebody heads over to that website, btacademy.com, what, what should they look for? Um, you know what? There's a couple of things on there. So there's a uh, section that just gives you tools. There's a, actually, I'm going to go to it right now when we're talking about there's um a, our podcast is up there, which we release every single week. Um, so you go to the resources section. You can listen to our podcast. You can learn. So we've got basically different contractor insights, downloadable free templates, stuff like that. Uh, if you want to know our program, you can check out our program. And uh, yeah, you can basically click on one of many called action buttons, I'm sure, that are on there that'll allow you to put in your info should you want to chat with us. I love it. Let Breakthrough Academy help you tame the chaos. Danny, as always, thanks for being on the podcast, man. Cool. Thanks, Andrew. Yeah, thanks, Emily. And, of course, head over to paintmag.com. There's always smarter, more efficient, more effective, and more satisfying and gratifying ways of doing what we do. 
And man, we try to collect those resources over there at paintmag.com. Make sure you keep getting the magazine by hitting subscribe when you get those annoying emails. If you don't subscribe, we don't know you love us, and we really want to know that you love us. Have a great day, everybody. We'll talk to you next time.